Welcome to the Kingsway Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed as you listen to this audio sermon streamed live from Melbourne, Australia. Kingsway Christian Fellowship is a family Bible-based non-denominational church preaching Jesus Christ, based in Wonturner. Visit www.kingswaychristianfellowship.com. Now here's Pastor Gary Fitzgerald. to uh, sustain us, to endure and to persevere in things of that nature. But I was just thinking as, uh, uh, as I was preparing this second message on Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, because it says, I has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men, all the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians, or it talks, or in verse 6 actually, it says, We speak wisdom among those who are mature. We have a wisdom that the world has no knowledge or understanding of. In verse 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Um, and that's the, the mystery that has been revealed. Amen? Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the mystery has been revealed. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them. God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, thank God for that. But we have received the spirit who is from God that we might know, we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, concerning spiritual things with spiritual. For the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They've got no idea of what we're going to look at this morning. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he, because they uh, know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, this is us, judges all things, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? No one. But we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind of Christ. So it's that's... The natural man, the world does not, we haven't received the spirit of the world. The natural man, we don't, we don't live there anymore. Oh, we're in a natural body, I understand. But we are, uh, we are spiritual beings. We are spiritually born again. We are spiritually enlightened. We are, and we, are to, we have the mind of Christ and we are to have those things that God has freely given to us. And there's so much more that is to come. And so it's in light of that reality this morning that we have to take those things 
that are spiritually discerned because they need to be discerned in the present hour that we live. It's not about talking about just those things that somehow they're in the distance and some things are still yet to come. But you see, there's a whole reality that is present now. And in, and in light of the circumstances of the world around us, we must see the invisible. It is imperative that we see the invisible. If we're going to endure, if we're going to persevere, because some of these things, they test us. Let's be honest. I don't particularly like certain things. That goes against my, my age, I know. You know. I know you're not like me. I'm the pastor. Okay, but I have to actually process some of these things as well, and uh, like you, and um, and so and so. Therefore, we need endurance to persevere. But above all things, we have to see above and beyond what's going on in the world, and see Christ. Amen. That we would see Jesus. Then we can endure. Then we can persevere. And like we looked at last week, those uh, heroes of faith, we can emulate that cloud of witnesses uh, that we are surrounded by that have run their race. Uh, we too can run ours. Amen? And be victorious unto the end. Whatever that may bring. And so in our text this morning, I pray the Lord will help us to grasp and see the immense truth that is being spoken to us in the Word of God. And that we would be encouraged and we would be strengthened in the day in which we live and the hour in which we live. Because the Bible calls us to overcome, church. The Bible does not call us to draw back. It doesn't call us to turn back. It calls us to just to, to push on, to hold fast, to don't cast away your confidence. Don't draw back because if you do so, my soul has no pleasure in you, says the Lord. Because God has revealed and we have something that's wonderful. And I want us to touch upon that this morning. So let's read our text. Hebrews 12, verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure what was commanded and if so much as a beast touches the mountain it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, uh, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they, if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shall, I shall shake not only the earth but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, 
Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Now the apostle is comparing here in verse 18 where we pick it up for you. After having spoken about God's, the race of faith and the discipline of God and, and to be healed and to go on, he makes a, a distinction and he's making a point and a comparison in which he's drawing a comparison between the old covenant, the old dispensation and the new covenant being the new dispensation in Christ. And in making a comparison, he's wanting to illustrate a glorious reality, a glorious truth that is, relates to the child of God, which is what has been going on throughout the whole book of Hebrews. The whole emphasis has been that when you consider Christ, when you consider the new covenant, having, uh, writing to Jews, demonstrating that the old covenant was a shadow of things to come. It was only symbolic. It only pointed to things that were to come. And those things have now arrived. And so in Christ and in the new covenant, those shadows are all done away with because now we have the, the high priest, which is Christ himself. We have a, a better covenant a bit, based on better promises. And so everything about the new covenant is superior. It is glorious, more glorious. And so this emphasis is being made by the writer in drawing these comparisons. And so we have now the mediator of the new covenant who brings into focus and brings into reality spiritual truth that must be seen, that must be observed, that must be understood, that must be uh, uh, experienced for every child of God. And so having made the emphasis of God's loving discipline, he draws them to the fact that, you know what, whom the Lord loves, he disciplined. And if we to respect earthly fathers who disciplined us and knowing that they loved us, how much more God who's perfect and loves us, how much more should we yield and submit and accept God's hand, the hand of God upon us in these instances? But you see, the point that I also want to draw out of this is he's the writer as he's referring from verse 18 onwards, he's, we'll get to that in a moment. But what he's trying to do here, he's trying to give um, an understanding that for the child of God, there is a, there, and in light of God's love for us and the inheritance that is ours in Christ, that we as Christians, we as children of God, have every reason. We have a, a, every motivation in life to love and to serve him wholeheartedly and faithfully. And so again, not out of fear, and not, that's, not to dis, that's not to put fear aside, but uh, if it's just based on fear, then we are missing the very essence of what the writer here is exhorting us to. He's exhorting us that in light of God's love, in light of, his, of everything that is ours as our inheritance, in light of everything that God has done, and he's trying to bring us to a higher motivation to love God and to serve God because of what is ours and our inheritance in Christ Jesus. 
And so this is what happens throughout the scripture. By, by the scriptures teaching us, Paul the Apostle is constantly writing and he's teaching uh, uh, every, every child of God their position in Christ, that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And by understanding uh, your inheritance and understanding the gospel and understanding your justification and understanding your future blessings, that you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that becomes the motivation. We love him because he first loved us. And that's the motivation behind us wanting to respond to God, us wanting to serve God, us wanting to commit ourselves faithfully to God. And so to emphasize this point, he wants to show them their position. And we'll get to that in a moment in the text. But again, he goes, let's go to verse 18. He refers to the old covenant. He says in verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. Now, isn't it interesting? You've not come to the mountain that can be touched. Remember, God came down at Sinai with the, the children of Israel and they physically saw the presence and the glory and the darkness and, uh, the, uh, and the fire and everything. They saw it with their own eyes. They could, uh, even though they were not allowed to, they could, if they wanted to die, they could touch the mountain if they wanted to, but they would be zapped or they would be killed. But nevertheless, it was physical. We have not come to a physical mountain. But not only have we not come to that, let's look at what Mount Sinai speaks of and what it represents to Israel and to us, generally speaking, because we are not at that place. And so, again, the Apostle is wanting to illustrate to us our position. He's comparing the Jewish dispensation under the law of Moses and he's comparing it to the church that is in Christ Jesus. And in making this comparison, he's illustrating these things in verse 18 and 19, as we will see. Now let's, mark, let's, let's first understand this. You see, to the Jew, to the Israelite who's standing there at the mountain and seeing God's manifesting glorious presence on Mount Sinai, and so uh, in light of that, the, the people were, uh, were awestruck. You know, they, what they were observing was so magnificent, so awe-inspiring, uh, uh, awe, uh, and it caused them to fear, it caused them to tremble, it caused them to just uh, 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 pull back and realize that God is glorious and holy and so forth. And so here you have this Jewish dispensation that they were under and they were, they were affected by this when they saw the awe, the might and the power of God, the holiness of God. And the Bible will tell us that fear so gripped their hearts. Now we look at that and, and which is, it's appropriate, that's a good thing. But you know, what it, what it was it was still insufficient because we know that the children of Israel from that moment, they understood that they could not approach God. Isn't that the, the truth that they heard all the way from, from there right through to the time of Christ? You know, in the whole setting up of the tabernacle, the whole setting up of the temple, what was it always? Only the high priest once a year could enter into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God was and he could only do it once a year and he couldn't go in without blood. 
And all that they understood was God was unapproachable. And so there was a fear there. That fear, it was, and and again, I'm not uh, diminishing that fear. That fear of God needs to be present in every Christian, as, as we'll see later. But nevertheless, we see another aspect, amen, of God's love that is manifested to us in Christ Jesus. Because when Jesus so loved the world that he gave, or God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, there's no greater love than to lay down your life. Here's Christ on the cross, and you know the story. When he, uh, he said it is finished, he gave up his spirit. The Bible says that the veil of the temple was torn in two. Now all of a sudden God is approachable. Never before, this is, this, is, this is, to the Jewish mind, this is unbelievable. You're telling me, I mean, this, this, this whole concept. This is what uh, uh, Paul is drawing upon here in Hebrews. We've not come to that mountain. We're not in that position as they once were. And also he's telling the Jews themselves, they don't have to be in that position anymore. This is the glory of the new covenant. And so... In the new covenant, though not physical, because it's not, but there is a far greater exceeding reality that is spiritual. And as we'll see in the text, we have not come to Mount Sinai as Christians, but we have come to Mount Zion. Again, Because we are at Mount Zion, it gives us every more reason to love and obey and to serve God. And so we are not at Mount Sinai. It says, verse 18, For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched. And so, and it says, And that burned with fire, and to blackness, and darkness, and tempest, Think about it. And the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. They heard the voice of words. They heard God's voice so that those who heard it, listen, begged that the word should not be spoken. See the reaction? It is fear and trembling. It's a withdrawal. It's like, whoa, it's too much. And so, um, so, and, and so here it is, the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Verse 20, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. And verse 21, and so terrifying was the sight So terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. I mean, picture that for a moment. And the the apostle is painting a picture of Mount Zion. And he says, uh, uh, and you say, how glorious that is. Well, when compared to the new covenant, (laughs) it doesn't even compare. That's what he's trying to illustrate. You know, so here it is. We are not in that position of fear and intimidation that God is unapproachable, that we can't even, anyone touches the mountain, they'll be shot with an arrow. Moses is too afraid to even go into, uh, he's exceedingly afraid and terrified at the sight that they are beholding. 
And isn't that how the nation of Israel lived its life out, pretty much? In that distance? Yes, under, under the old covenant. Yes, it had its glory. Yes, God was faithful. Yes, God had ministered. But all of those things that they did was a shadow that pointed ultimately to Christ, who would be the reality and the fulfillment of those things. And so the writer is comparing now that, and he wants to bring a comparison to the new dispensation than the new covenant that is in Christ Jesus. You see, if you were there at that Mount, at Mount Sinai, would you be, would that, well, I mean, would that put the fear of God into you? I, I assume you would say yes. Of course, Pastor. I mean, gosh, if, any, if Moses was exceedingly afraid and terrified, imagine us being at that place. We'd be exactly the same. But so much so that it was a withdrawal. So much so that they stood back. They pleaded, don't even speak. Don't even speak. And that's why the, the, the context in Hebrews is, 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 is not that. It brings us in. That's why that we can enter the holiest with confidence. Hebrews 10 verse 19 tells us that you can boldly enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. That you can boldly come to the throne of grace. So this is a con this is this concept is something that is foreign, but to the to the new dispensation under the gospel under the new covenant through the blood of Christ, this is what we can do. This is the privilege that we have. This is the inheritance that is ours in Christ. And so, God has not changed. Fear is a good motivation to serve God. If, that's what's, if, if it's not going to be based on love, then if it's based on fear, let it be. As long as it motivates you to do what God wants you to do, because God will deal with those things. But let me say this, our motivations are much higher than fear. Our motivation is because he loved us and we love him, and the blessings that we have in Christ are enough to make you say, I owe him everything, everything. And so it's because of his love for us. Now look at verse 22. It says, but you, see, but you have not come to this mountain, which is Mount Sinai. But listen, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion. Now again, Mount Zion was, is, is basically uh, the, the city of God, the, uh, Jerusalem, the city of David as we know it. And so it's a physical place in Israel. But its, its spiritual reality supersedes the physical. It teaches us a spiritual reality. And the Bible says that we have come not to the physical place of Mount Zion that's in Jerusalem, we're not there physically, but we have come there spiritually. That's why it says in these words that you have, we have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The heavenly Jerusalem. That doesn't discard the earthly Jerusalem and the plans and the purposes that God has with that city where Jesus will return and he will rule and reign from, the, from Jerusalem, the city of God. And all that's going on in Jerusalem is significant to Bible prophecy and the plan and purposes of God. But we're not there, church. We're here in Australia, Melbourne, 
lovely Victoria. <laughs> but though we're here, we are, we are where? We're in Mount Zion. We are in the heavenly Jerusalem. And so note these words. Paul says, you, but you have come to Mount Zion. He doesn't say you are going to, but you have come to in the present tense now. This is where we are as Christians, regardless of our physical now, it doesn't matter where every child of God is across the world is irrelevant in terms of the physical and natural. Every child of God is at this place, and this is what Paul is wanting us to understand. You are not at Mount Sinai in that sense. You are not in the fear and dread of God in this context, but rather you are in the gospel, in the new dispensation. You are in Christ, and now you have come. You are at Mount Zion. There is an emphasis here. You know, eight times, eight times the word to is, is used. And I want to read it to you and I want to draw your attention to it. Look at verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion. Okay? We are at Mount Zion. This is the city of God. Also, it says to, look at it again, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem, as it is referred to. Listen, to an innumerable company of angels. 20, verse 23, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. There's glorious, you could go through all these individually. There's glorious truth that's attached to all of these. But we're just making the emphasis here. We are to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. To God, the judge of all people. To the spirits of just men made perfect. We looked at, touched upon that last week. Those that of the old dispensation. And now they would not be perfected outside of us. And so here they are in the new covenant in Christ. Having been perfected as they waited for that moment. But we have, we, we have, we have come to Mount Zion. We have come um, to the city of the living God, the new Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly in the church of the firstborn registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and, listen, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. And so this is the present reality that Paul the Apostle is writing here to the church, to the Hebrew believers, but to us as well, to grasp this place, this position. And you must see this spiritually. This is like when the Bible says um, in Ephesians 2 verse 6 that we have been raised with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. You say, well, how am I there? I'm here. So you've got to understand these things are spiritually discerned. 
And these are the things that the Spirit of God reveals, the deep things of God. This is the deep things of God. This is the inheritance that is yours as a believer, as a child of God. And you must understand it, that you have come to this place. Otherwise, all you will see around you is what you, what's going on in the world around you and the spirit of this world. And uh, if we live there, it's already frustrating enough having to endure it physically. Imagine that that was our whole life. No, we see that which is spiritual this morning. See, our citizenship is in heaven. We are not of this world. And so the old covenant had all the promises, but not the reality of things to come. But we have those realities now, church. And those that were faithful in the old covenant have, have possessed those things. We as Christians have possessed them as well, but we have to appropriate them. And this is the key. You have to understand them. You have to have a revelation because if you're ignorant of these truths, then um, you, you, know, you, you are living um, not in the realm that God would have you live. Or more than that, if you're living in this world and for this world and attached to the things of this world, and so then therefore you're neglecting the fact of where your real home is and what's most important to us. And it's these things that's found in verse 22, 23 and 24. And so when we consider the sublime when we consider the spiritual truth, when we consider the realities of the new dispensation, the new covenant that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it gives us every reason to love God and to want to serve him. And so it should. And so the question to us this morning is, are you seeing the invisible? Do you see the invisible? More than that, do you live for the invisible? Because that's why Paul says the outward man is perishing, but the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so we are being, uh, because of these very truths that we're considering. And so I want to, I want to bring you to where you should be as a child of God this morning. I, you know, isn't that a bit of a uh, cliche? But here we are, we have come to, and Paul wants to bring them the church or these Hebrew believers to understand and experience and live that reality. And I guess that's what my motivation is this morning too, that I would be able to, through God's grace, through the word of God, show you so that you too can live and experience these realities in your life. Because I tell you, uh, if you're going to be an overcomer, if you're going to persevere, if you're going to endure until the end, then these things are critical in your understanding. And so, isn't it interesting that, you know, some people, have you ever heard someone say, you know, it's so hard as a Christian, you know, if only like I saw, if only I was like in the Old Testament and I saw God on the mountain, you know, if I only saw those things, if I only could see like they did, it would be different. You know the writer of Hebrews, if, 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 if you've ever heard people say that, maybe you've even thought it and said it yourself. Let's be honest. And sometimes it's a thing to say when we're young and immature in Christ. It it's a, it's a, it's a, seems like a reasonable statement. But you know how wrong that statement is? 
The whole reason why it's been written here is because what you have now is far more glorious than that. Why would you want that? That's what the writer's trying to say. You don't want that. You haven't come to the mountain that can be touched. You're saying, oh, if only I could see what they saw and do that would be so different. No, no, no. You, you don't need to be there. We're not at Mount Sinai. We don't need to physically touch these things because we're at Mount Zion and we can see our eyes are open and we have a revelation of that which is now. And so that causes us and it far exceeds what they had. They said, Lord, don't speak. They said, Lord, I'll get us away. They, they said uh, they wanted to re re refrain and withdraw. But the Bible says, no, we've come too. And I tell you, come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly with confidence into his presence. And you're saying, oh, if only I had what they had. No, no, no. The writer's trying to say, that. forget what you've had. This is what you need to have. And we've got it. And we're thinking that that's better. <laughs> See the contradiction? And so you must have a revelation of what is yours now through the, as these scriptures are teaching us. Otherwise we'd be short-sighted. And so, again, if we, if we were to speak like that, then basically we're not seeing the invisible as we ought to. See, after making and emphasising these glorious truths, that are stated, and we're not going to go through each of those. Each of those contain immense truth that is beyond our scope here. But after making and emphasizing these glorious truths, the apostle seeks to exhort them to be established in this reality. That's why, and how? Through faith and obedience. Look at verse 25. He says, See that you do not refuse him who speaks. See, don't refuse him who speaks. Believe, trust, have faith in what God says. He's, uh, and so, um, see then that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, and so, you know, those that uh, didn't heed God speak in the physical sense, he's saying, how much more? Now that we have heard God speak and hear and we have heard from heaven in the gospel of Jesus Christ, how much more are we accountable to that? How much more have we a responsibility to these things? And it says, For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven? And so many reject the gospel. So many hear the gospel and they just turn their back on the Lord. Verse 26, <clears throat> and whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. You see, the Bible speaks here, and it's actually a direct quote from the prophet Haggai in chapter 2. And it makes reference to a shaking and some other things. But in essence, what it's, uh, I mean, when, when Christ came the first time, and in light of his uh, life and death, uh, we know the earth shook. 
Even when um, he was on that cross, there was a great earthquake and, you know, the rocks split. I mean, it was just a dynamic and God shook the earth. And so, um, and so in this, but in, in, in light of the fact also, in Christ's second coming, there's going to be a great shaking as well. Amen? And so there's the, the multiple uh, applications of this particular text. But yeah, yeah, so, the, uh, I mean, it shook then at Mount Sinai when God came. The whole mountain sh- shook and shaked at the presence of God. Here it is in Christ at his first coming, the earth shook. And then again in his second coming, it will happen again. And ultimately, all these things that are of the world will be shaken. And, cry, and when Christ returns to take up his throne in the city of Jerusalem, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and God will establish, uh, and that which will remain will be Christ, and the nations will be judged and so forth, and so everything will be brought into subjection to him. And so there is the, the, that emphasis. But also, in another sense, I want to draw your attention to the fact, and this is also contained within the text itself, and God is, God, in a sense, is always shaking. Amen. You know, when I look at the coronavirus across the world, it's a form of shaking, isn't it? And so, because for the Christian, the truth is, is that uh, you know, there's a saying that I've always understood throughout my Christian life is, what can be shaken will be shaken. You know, as we live our lives as Christians, sometimes we're not building on the right foundation. Sometimes we're building with the wrong materials. Sometimes we're trusting in the wrong things. And so what I have experienced over the journey of my Christian life is there are times when uh, if it can be shaken, it will be shaken. Because God will shake those things that that are, are not right in our lives in order that he can purify our hearts, in order that he can get us to build with the proper materials and build on Christ as we ought to. And trusting only in him alone and faithful to him, committed to him. And so, when we, uh, what's the whole purpose of these things? It's found in verse 27, yet once more indicating the removal of those things that can be shaken. So that's the principle, the removal of things that can be shaken. You see, when we consider the coronavirus and some of the experiences, doesn't it get us to just reassess? Doesn't it show us how fickle things are? Doesn't it show us that one minute you can have this and then you cannot have that? Look at what's going on in the world. Everything, if it can be shaken, it will be shaken. The world trusts in, in, in all these different things. And the Christian, we don't trust in the world. We're not trusting in the UN. We're not trusting in, uh, um, you know, it's a corrupt organisation anyway. We don't trust in these people, these organisations, in men. Uh, they, they, their fallibility, their incompetence is on display. We trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so in our lives, the, these trials that come our way and these things, they only cause us to reassess. They only cause us to re-examine our hearts to make sure that we're building on the right foundation, that we're, our hearts are, are faithful and loyal to our Lord. Because the truth of the matter is, is that Christians can get caught up in the world. Demas forsook Paul because he loved the present world. 
And we can get so caught up in the present world, we can get so in love with the world that we uh, uh, neglect and uh, uh, we, we, we're, not, we're, not, we're not established in these truths that we're talking about this morning. No, 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 we're too busy caught up in the things of this world, building on the things of this world and pursuing the things of this world. Now, I'm not saying we live in the world. I'm, t- I'm saying, what's your motivation? I'm saying, who are you trusting in? I'm not saying that it's evil to live in the world. We're in the world. But I'm saying to you this morning, you've got to have a proper understanding of where you live, who you are, what is your future, what it really comes down to. Because when the rubber meets the road, you know what? I have a house, but I may not have a house one day. Who knows? There's times coming, uh, you know, unless you've got your vaccination passport, you can't even go to another country. All of a sudden, you're going to have, there's going to be limitations, restrictions, and, all, and so all of a sudden, some of the freedoms that we so enjoy, they're not going to be there. And so we've got to make sure that we're building on the right foundation. Because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Why? So that those things that are of eternal value, to remove those things that can be shaken, and that the things that are made and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. And I tell you, the God's word is true. Your inheritance is true. No one can take it away from you. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter what kind of trial or tribulation would come our way. Doesn't matter if we lost everything. You know what? We have Jesus. And if everything is shaken and that's all we got, that's all we need. <laughs> We don't need any more. Naked I come in, naked I go out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But you know what? I'm at Mount Zion. I'm living in the city of Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. That's why we look at that guy uh, recently that we showed, that Asian fellow that was persecuted. And he's saying, I come to the garden alone. And he's in the mire, you know. But you see... It doesn't matter what happens in the world. This guy lives in another, in another realm. Physically, it's sickening. But spiritually, he's in the garden alone. He's at the Mount Zion. He's in this heavenly city. Amen. That's how it works. And so we need to have a clear perspective this morning. We have to see the invisible. More than that, we have to live for the invisible. And so verse 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, and and that's what it's talking about, the establishment of the kingdom of God, which we are now, is our inheritance, which cannot be shaken. Let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Let us have grace. You know what? When Paul said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul said, God, take this away from me. Have you ever said, I can't handle this circumstance, Lord. Remove it from me. And what did Paul say? I mean, what did God say to Paul? My grace is sufficient. Let us... Have grace. It is in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says it is, it is, it is, um, uh, the heart, it is good for the heart to be established in grace. Not with all the outward forms, 
you know, because all of those things will be shaken and they will all crumble, even in Christian, Christians built on the wrong foundation. I did. <laughs> For many years I built on a wrong foundation. And what could be shaken, God shook it. Why? So that that which remained, remained. You know what remained? Christ. <laughs> Christ. It's like, oh my gosh, there's no other foundation that can be laid. It's Christ. <laughs> oh my gosh, that Christ would be formed. For me to live is Christ. It's all Christ. <laughs> and that is unshakable, church. And so what happens is Christians, they all build on the externalism and all the outward formalism. But you know what? When it all gets shaken, it's just you and God. And uh, uh, do you have a revelation of these things? Do you know him? If it was just you and God, could you sing, I come to the garden alone? Because you should. That's what the writer's saying. You must. Let us have grace. God's grace is present. It doesn't matter what he allows for. You know, this is the way the world today, you know, the modern church is talking about, you know, my success as a Christian. You know, this and that. Well, it's all going to be shaken, church. All of it. It's all wrong. It's all wrong. It's not about our blessing. You know what? Uh, it's all about in the midst of suffering, having God's grace and surviving and living the victorious life. Whether you have or have not is irrelevant. And so we have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. The word reverence is a unique word here because it's only used once from my understanding. And it means awe, awe, godly fear. And so I said to you earlier in the Apostle's writing, he's trying to establish a higher motivation because we're not at Mount Zion. We're not at Mount Sinai. We're at Mount Zion. And in light of the fact of our position in Christ, we, we, we love him because he first loved us. We serve God. But nevertheless, you cannot escape the reality of the necessity for the fear of God. It was there in the early church, not just contained in the Old Testament. The early church, Ananias and Sapphira, they died. And the Bible says, great fear. You say, well, how does that work? Great fear came upon the church that they didn't even dare go near the apostles. They were like, whoa, they're holy men. But today we would look at that and we would say, oh, that's not a right, a right uh, disposition. But it is a right disposition because they walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. The two go together. And so... We serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. And you know, in the same way that that which can be shaken will be shaken, our God is a consuming fire. In Hebrews 10 verse 31, the Bible says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Because just Christians now, as children of God, this is why God disciplines us, because he wants us to have the best. He wants, it's not a rejection and a punitive uh, in aspect, but the, it's like, you know, I, I have an, so much more for you, but if you're going to possess that and obtain that and appropriate it, then you're going to have to be prepared for it. And so, uh, and so, in other words, our God is a consuming fire. And so those things in our lives that are not right, God will not tolerate. 
He will deal with those things. He will bring us through wilderness experiences, trials and tribulations to deal with those things in order to purify our hearts, in order to conform us to the image of his son, in order to transform us. Why? So that we can become, we are partakers already of the divine nature, but again, when sin is in our lives, when the things are not, are not as they ought to be, it affects we grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't live in the fullness of the blessing. And so, our God is a consuming fire. You know, that which can be shaken will be shaken, and that which can be burnt will be burnt. That's what the Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, it talks about a time, uh, how we build our Christian lives. What are you building with? Hay, wood and stubble? Or with, uh, with precious metals of gold, silver and so forth? Because each one, each life and what we build with will be tested by fire. And that consuming fire will burn up anything in our lives in the day of judgment, when the judgment seat of Christ, when we stand before the Lord. And I tell you what, the Bible says it could all be burned up and you'll be saved just as through fire. But who wants that? No reward? Is that how you, you want everything in the world now? Oh, but I'm a Christian, I'm saved, but then get to heaven and you're going to have nothing? <laughs> Not nothing, but you know what I'm saying. Build on these glorious truths. Hold fast to these glorious truths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Serve him wholeheartedly. Live for him. Because uh, uh, if he who loses his life will find it. For my, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so don't be moved by the things in this world. But let's serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear because our God is a consuming fire. And so I pray this morning that we would see the invisible, that you would hear the heavenly voice. I pray this morning that you would realize that as you sit here, you are at Mount Zion, the city of the, of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning that we have come to, to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city of God, to uh, an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly. God, to, to you, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, to the blood of the covenant. God, these are things that are present realities now. This is where we are at. This is where we stand, Lord. I so thank you, God for the spiritual inheritance that we have. Open our eyes, Lord. Give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you, Lord, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. My God, I pray that we would uh, discern those things that are spiritual. And Lord, reveal them to us. Continue to teach us. Continue to show us these things. We thank you, Lord, <coughs> that we are such a blessed people. Blessed be your holy name. Amen. God bless you this morning. Uh, let's have a time of fellowship.